Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to open your word. Father, speak to us, speak through us in your name. Amen and amen. So uh, about a month ago now, about four weeks ago now, I was able to do part one of this sermon. And I was, there's, there's five ways to awaken the warrior within, and I was only able to get through the first two. And I'm going to make no promises today because this Gideon story has gotten all up in my heart. It's in my veins. It's in my bones. And so I, I can't promise any amount of brevity today. But what I can promise you is that I believe the Lord will speak. So just before we get into the, the third and fourth ways, I want to step back and just revisit the sermon from the end of May. If you have not heard it, I encourage you to go on Spotify or YouTube or Apple Podcasts. You can hear the word there. It was from the last sermon in the month of May. And it says, uh, the, 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 the first point that we came to or the first way to awaken the warrior within was to begin with the battle within. And, and, and that particular uh, truth came to us where we're reminded that sometimes the hiding hero's first fight is his own home. We saw from Gideon that he had to overcome some stuff in his own psyche as a result of his family and who he was to his family, his family being the lowest in the tribe. Um, and, and, and at that point was a reminder that since the enemy cannot hold you, he will use what's close to you to distract you, okay? So our first way to awaken the warrior within is to begin with the battle within. And then uh, we also covered our second way, which is to be found in your fear. And the truth behind this principle is simply that it's okay to be afraid. That God can still use you in your fear. Because like us, Gideon is a man marked by timidity. And so this particular way to awaken the warrior within is a reminder that courage is not in fearlessness, but it's in fighting afraid. So the first two ways, beginning with the first one, begin with the battle within, is the first way. The second way is to be found in your fear. We're going to pick it up today at the third way, and I'm going to give it to you straight out. The third way to awaken the warrior within is to listen for the word in the wind. Listen for the word in the wind. It's not only where God finds Gideon that teaches us something about our lives. It's also what he's doing in that place. The scripture says that we just read that, that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. He's in a wine press. He's hiding in a wine press for fear of the Midianites coming to at worst kill him, at best steal his grain from his family. Um, and he's there hiding in fear. But what he's doing in the wine press is what I want to point your attention to. He is threshing Wheat. And I think what's important for us to understand about this situation is, 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 is what these, the, the dichotomy between the wine press and the threshing floor. So I, I'm going to play a, a video and a picture while I'm talking. I just want you to see um, what visually I'm talking about when I say the threshing floor and the wine press. So what you see on the screen right now is an example of the wine press. So this is video footage actually from Israel. You see that the wine press is an area of the village that is depressed. It's below the land of the surface. You see what I'm saying? There are, there are cisterns and there are pools. There are holes and cavities that have been dug out into the ground. Why? 
Because what happens in this process of, 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 of wine is that they will actually stomp the grapes and you see how the hole or the pool will go into a smaller pool. There's a system of tunnels built into the ground that will take the juice from the wine into a cistern where it begins the fermentation process. But what I want you to recognize about the wine press, because we're saying that Gideon is in a wine press, what I want you to recognize about it is that it's a low place. It's a dark place. It's a damp place. It's enclosed. It's confined. It's not exposed. There is no wind or f- movement of oxygen in this place. This is the wine press. Now, on the other side of the coin is the threshing floor. And the threshing floor, unlike the wine press, is a place that is typically elevated in the city. The threshing floor uh, is usually on top of a hill. And what you see in the video is the process of threshing. You have the person leading the animal that is carrying a weight, a a board, and it is moving along the surface. And he goes in a circle, and the friction and the weight from the board will take the, the grain and separate it from the chaff. Now what he's doing with the pitchfork is he shovels it up, he lifts it up, and what happens is the wind will blow away the parts of the wheat that's not, that is not edible. And then the weights from the grain will drop to the ground, then they collect the grain. So in order, follow me, in order for the threshing floor to work, you actually have to have movement of wind because it's the wind that separates the unusable from the usable. So you see the fork, he's lifting it up, the grain falls, that's what's collected later, that provides nourishment, that provides sustenance, that provides longevity, that is the blessing but the wind will remove the part of the grain that is not edible. You have to have a visual to understand the wine press versus the threshing floor. So when we read in Judges chapter 6 that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, what I want you to understand is that he's literally by hand taking pieces of wheat and separating the grain and putting it in a pile and throwing the rest away in that tunnel that we showed you in that first picture, in that first video. The, the threshing floor is on top of a hill. There's high ground. But what he's doing is something that's very peculiar because he's threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, in order for us to get this even further, we have to understand what role the wind plays in this threshing process, right? So, I want to give you some biblical context for the concept of wind. Now, we're going somewhere. I'm asking for you to follow me. In the concept of of wind, scripturally, if we look at Psalms chapter 1, verse 4, it says, the wicked are like chaff blown away in the wind. See, because the wind separates the grain from the chaff, right? In John chapter 3, it says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, these were the words of Jesus explaining how the Holy Spirit works. And I want you to understand that it's actually the Holy Spirit in Scripture that is compared to wind. So oftentimes when you see wind, understand the visual imagery of something we cannot see, which is the movement of the Holy Spirit. And like the wind, you cannot see the Holy Spirit, but You feel its power. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit is invisible, but it's powerful. It's unexplainable. It's omnipresent. It's everywhere. Whether you like it or not, there's wind outside. 
You don't see where it's coming or where it's going, but it is there. I want to get even deeper with this concept of wind. When you look at the Hebrew and the Greek word for wind or for breath, both words translate to the same meaning of blow. So, so, so that means in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when it says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then he blew breath of life into his nostrils, what is it actually saying? We're actually seeing here, we're actually seeing here in this, in this concept that, that, that God is blowing breath of the spirit into the, the, the body of Adam. They, they, I think they think I'm thirsty. I got two water. This is my second one. I'm going to drink both of these before we're done, too, because they're not wrong. They're not wrong. You know, I wake up in the morning, brief intermission. I wake up in the morning, and, of course, I pick up my phone, and I look at the Bible app. You know, it's the first thing you scroll through. But then I go straight to the weather app to find out what the humidity is. The humidity today is not that hot, but it's 78% humidity. Now, I'm from Michigan, so I know about some humidity. So I'm up here sweating. So thank you for the water. Uh, I want us to understand specifically the movement of the Spirit relative to this scripture. Now, this is the Old Testament, so the Holy Spirit has not been released after Jesus. We did not get the Holy Spirit until after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But I want to draw the comparison between the wind that is necessary for the threshing process and the Spirit and the way it moves, right? So when a baby takes its first breath, we know that it's actually breathing the life of the spirit as breathed into it by God the creator. When you wake up in the morning and you're conscientious of your first breath, you are breathing the breath of the spirit that was put in you by God himself. So just like the threshing floor requires the wind for that process to work, the Holy Spirit is required in your life for your progress. The Holy Spirit is required in your life to separate the usable from the unusable. Now, here's the issue with Gideon threshing wheat in the wine press. The issue is that there's usually no wind in the wine press because there's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place that's absent of the movement of a lot of oxygen. Now, now, now I, want, I want to be clear with you. This is a word for someone here who refuses to climb out of the low place that you've been in. Today's word is a word for someone here today who has found comfort in their wine press. And I'm here to declare to you, I'm here to petition you, get where the wind is. Because the word is in the wind. Get where the wind is because the word is in the wind. It can be hard to hear the wind when you're in this low place. And listen, that's what's wrong with pornography. Because it makes you feel full for a couple minutes but then empty in its lifetime of addiction. And that's what's wrong with anger is it makes you feel powerful in the moment, but it steals your joy and it replaces it with regret. That's what's wrong with substances, because you become numb for a night, but the pain persists in the morning. In what areas of your life are you struggling to feel the wind? 
Where are you in your wine press and you're refusing to come up out of it? You found comfort burrowing there in the enclave and safety and security of the cave that you've identified as a safer place than the threshing field. I'm calling you to come out of it. Because there's no wind in the wine press. But you have to get where the wind is. Why? Because in the wind there is a word. Contrary even to what I'm saying, I do want to point out the fact that even in Gideon's wine press, God found him. Even in his low place of depression, God found him. Even in his moment of fear, his moment of anxiety, his moment of depression, God found him. I don't want to gloss over the reality of this scripture. It's painting the picture that there is no place too low that God can't go. There is no place too high that he will not find you. So although I'm calling you out of your wine press and, and urging you to get where the wind is so you can hear the word in the wind, I want to remind you that if you don't come out, God's going to go in. And God will come for you. The reality is that how you perceive your crisis has everything to do with the way you listen to the word in the wind. Now, we have to be honest about the fact that Gideon is in a crisis. His people are, 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 on, are on the border of a famine because the Midianites are coming in the middle of the night and they are stealing all of their grain. They are having their animals uh, literally trample on their fields. So the Israelites are going hungry. They are being bullied by a larger, stronger group of people. There is a national crisis taking place. And this warrior, as God calls him, is hiding in a wine press, there is a crisis here. Now, this crisis drove Gideon to the wine press, to his low place. But what Gideon didn't know is that what he thought was going to be a place of protection was actually a place of preparation. Hear me now. And some of you are going to your places of comfort, your places of safety, and you think you're being protected from the problems around you. But God's really using that place to prepare you for the purpose he has before you. You may think that where you're going when you go to the bar, that where you're going when you go to that website, that where you're going is going to protect you from the problems around you. But God, even in your disparity, can and does utilize the places that you perceive as protection to prepare you for the purpose he has before you. Now, don't get me excited because I feel like the little hairs back here. I feel them. I feel them. I, I, I want you to get this word in your spirit because some of you think that you're a, a coward. Some of you think that you have a reason to be embarrassed. Some of you think that because of where you are, you're disqualified from where you're trying to go. But I'm here today to tell you that even in those low places, God is surrounding you. Even in the midst of your depression, God is calling you out to be a warrior. Even in the place of, of, of your anxiety, there is a victor in you. Even in those low places. Even in that wine press. Now sometimes it's your crisis that positions you for your purpose. Yes, yes, yes. Sometimes it's your crisis that prepares you for your potential. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the oppression that presents you with the opportunity for your future. 
Family, yes, there's a calling in your chaos. There is commission in your calamity. The way you perceive your place of protection has everything to do with what God can do to prepare you. You have to listen for the word in the wind. The truth is we are so quick to judge Gideon for being in this place of, let's call it what it is, it's survival. There's a war taking place, and we judge him so quickly, but the truth is he was scared. He wasn't sinning because he was hiding. He was surviving, and there's a difference. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you that it's okay to be in a season of survival. I'm telling you that I know that you've been through some things that hurt you beyond your own capacity to heal. I'm telling you that I'm aware that some of the things that you've been through have caused you to shrug your shoulders, to keep your head down, to hide from possibilities for your future. I'm telling you that is okay. There is no sin in surviving. Hear me. I don't know what your mental health struggle is. I don't know what your relational or marital struggle is. I don't know what your own self struggle is, but it's okay to be in a place of survival. The divorce hurt, but you survived. You lost your job, but you survived. The doctor said, but you survived. The enemy tried to destroy you, but you survived. Hiding does not make you a sinner. It makes you a survivor. Hiding does not make you selfish. It makes you a survivor. Now, surviving in and of itself is not selfish, but, and this is where you probably thought I was going, but surviving does become selfish when that's the only thing you do. When all you do is survive, now you're bordering selfishness. No, 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 I know that's not an easy word to hear after what I just said, but let's, let's push through this. Let's push through this. When God gives you an opportunity to do something and he's calling you to do it, but you choose not to do it, now this becomes selfish. When God provides a, a path forward, when God calls you out of your wine press and you choose to elect not to follow that, That's when your survival becomes selfish. Why? Listen to me, family. Because God did not come just to get you through something. God came to get something through you. You were not created just to survive. You were not created just to make it through. You were created to be a conduit by which the spirit moves to bring life and power into the lives of those around you. Gideon was in a place and it's okay to be in a season of survival, but it becomes selfish when you remain in that season of survival even after God has called you out of it. So I don't know where you are in your season. I don't know where you are in your wine press. I don't know where you are hearing the word and the wind for God to call you out of it. That's for you to determine. But when you have the opportunity and God calls you out and you hear the word and the wind and you refuse to move, that's when your survival becomes selfishness. You are an avenue of power. You are a vehicle of victory. 
God did not design you only for you to just make it along. If every week the only word you come here prepared to hear is one that says you can do it, you can make it, seven more days until church again and you get your little lift me up. If that's the only word that your heart can prepare you to hear, how then will God ever use your power and potential to actually create an impact in the lives of those around you. I want you to understand very clearly you are being called out of your wine press because you're a warrior, not because you're anything else. You're being called out of your wine press because you are a warrior. What is the wind whispering to you today? Where is the spirit nudging you and calling you out and challenging you in your sense of self? I got a question for you. What if the fulfillment of God's promises to you are on the other side of that wine press? What if the freedom that you've been fighting for for your family is on the other side of that hiding place? Family, please listen for the word in the wind. The fourth way. The fourth way to awaken the warrior within is to expect sifting before lifting. Now, I'm going to unpack this for you. Expect sifting before lifting. In this passage, God is calling Gideon to come up out of a, a low place, yes? Uh, he, he reminds Gideon that he did the same thing for Israel. So Gideon's in this place of hiding. He's in this low place. Now look at what he actually says to him in Judges 6, 7 through 8. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this prophet is saying, hey, remember that one time? When you, the Israelites, cried out to me, remember I sent you the prophet? And that prophet told you, hey, don't forget, I'm the one that brought you up out of the land of Israel. Notice the word up. Now God, in his encounter with Gideon, begins by reminding him of what he did for the Israel nation within which Gideon exists. Now sometimes I want you, I want you to know that God will tell you a word through the peripheral story around your life. Sometimes God points you to look at what he did in your family. You may not have experienced that, but look what he did in your parents' marriage. Look what he did in your mom's relationship with your grandmother. God in the same way saying, hey, remember how I lifted Israel up out of slavery? I'm here to lift you up out of your wine press today. Sometimes if you just look around, you will see that there is in fact a word for you simply just from your surroundings, just from your environment. Now, 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 now here, here's what I want you to understand about the sifting and the lifting process. Is that some of you God is wanting to elevate. Some of you God is wanting to bring you up out of your wine press. He's wanting to set you on the path toward your purpose. He has people for you to impact. But at the end of the day, the truth is that elevation requires separation. Sometimes elevation requires separation. Gideon was in the wine press threshing wheat. He was separating the grain from the chaff. Now, not everyone can go where God is trying to take you. Let me break this down a little bit. 
God is trying to take you to places that the people currently in your life cannot go with you. Oh, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. I ain't mad at you. I don't want to hear it either. (laughs) I don't want to hear it either. There are, are, are people in your life. There are habits in your life. There are systems in your life. There are thoughts in your life that in order for God to elevate, you must separate. You must leave behind that which served you in your old story before you can walk into the glory of your new story. Are you with me today? I want you to understand that elevation requires separation. God is giving us through scripture the visual representation of the grain being separated from the chaff. What is God calling you to leave behind? What is God calling you to let go of? Where is God trying to take you? And if you would let go of that thought, if you would begin letting go of that habit, if you would let go of that unhelpful idea, how would God lead you into a new, higher ground? You have to expect the sifting before the lifting. Expect the sifting before the lifting. Not only is Gideon threshing wheat, but check this out. God is threshing Gideon. So we have this, this visual of Gideon separating the grain and the shaft, but we also see that God is separating the warrior from the warrior. God is separating what's unhelpful from what is necessary for the next part of the journey. But before God can lift Gideon, he had to sift Gideon. While the wind was used to separate the grain from the chaff, the spirit is also removing the waste from the warrior. Just like the wind separates the grain from the chaff, God was separating Gideon from his, listen, his self-defeating thoughts. He was separating Gideon from his feelings of weakness. He was separating Gideon from his faithlessness. Where is God sifting you? He wants to lift you, but he must first sift you. Where is God sifting you? Where is God using the spirit to separate you from the useless things of your past that will not serve you in your future? It's a real question for you to consider today, family, because some of you feel the force of the wind in your life. Some of you feel that wind and it's a little uncomfortable. I didn't say that the wind is always going to be a gentle whisper. Sometimes the wind's going to look like a tornado. Let's be honest about it. And some of you are feeling the wind. You feel the, the wind around you in your life and it looks like chaos. It looks like disorder. It looks like calamity. And we're looking at the enemy saying, look what the enemy's doing. Look at what the enemy's doing. But God is using the wind in your life to separate you from the things that you need to leave behind to move into the purpose he's calling you to. Some of you are feeling the wind and you're looking as if you're being attacked, not recognizing the power of the grace of God in your life where that wind is being used by God to separate you from the unhelpful. Expect the sifting before the lifting. Verse 12. Verse 12, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to God, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I want to point this out to you because two things is happening. God is 
giving him a reminder, but God is also making a declaration. God is reminding him of something from the past, but he's also declaring something over his future. It says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. See, Gideon believed that God had abandoned him. He believed it was only a matter of time before the enemy would take them captive. And we know this is true because look at how, look at how Gideon responded in verse 13. He said, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? God is sifting Gideon from these feelings of loneliness, these feelings from abandonment. Now, the situation and the crisis that the nation of Israel was in was real. Family, the abuse you endured was real. The molestation was real. The affair was real. The sickness was real. I'm not here to ask you to overlook the reality and the gravity of your situation because there's some very sober situations that some of you have experienced. But I'm here to remind you that even in that, God was present. I'm here to remind you that God is reminding you of his power to move past those things from your past. God is sifting from Gideon the feelings that came along with the experience from his current situation. So while the pain that you experienced was real, God is trying to separate the feeling from the event. And if you can separate the feeling from what you've experienced, now you can address the feeling without addressing the event. Because guess what, family? You can't change that abuse. It happened. You can't, you can't change the affair. It happened. You can't change the broken leg. It happened. You can't change the things from the past. But what you can is change the way you respond to the feelings as a result of those experiences. This is exactly what God is doing with Gideon. And the truth is, some of us may never even recognize the presence of God in our life until he's in our wine press with us. So that's my, my question. What untrue thoughts, what unhelpful thoughts need to be sifted from your mentality to move forward? Because before God will lift you, he will sift you. Before God sent Gideon, he made a declaration. He called him mighty warrior. Now, if you look at the scripture, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to do this, but it actually says that the angel was present there in that place before it says that Gideon recognized who he was. Because the chapter starts out by saying, and the angel was sitting under the oak tree, right? And then it says that it appeared to Gideon. I'm here to tell you today, family, that God is already in your situation. He was there before you got there. I'm here to tell you today, family, that even before the pain hurt, before the, the, the presence of, of the evil was recognized, God was already in that place. It just took a minute for Gideon to catch on. So while God was there in advance of Gideon's acknowledgement of his presence or recognition of his presence, God was preparing that atmosphere for him, Gideon, to be called out. And notice how he calls him. Because in verse 12, it says that God called Gideon a mighty warrior. God didn't wait until Gideon was up in the threshing floor to call him a warrior. God didn't wait until he had sharpened his sword to call him a warrior. God did not wait until he was standing on the front line of battle to call Gideon a warrior. 
God called Gideon a warrior while he was still in his wine press. God is declaring over your life, no matter where you are, what you're still healing from, what you're going through in this moment, where you're lacking faith, in this moment today you're a warrior. Not tomorrow or the next day. In this moment, now you're a warrior. You're a hero while you're still hurting. You are a warrior while you're still hiding in your wine press, family. I want you to get into your soul, into your heart, that I don't know how you walked into the threshold of these doors today, but when you walk back out of them, you're leaving a warrior. And that was a call over your life before you came in here. And it will be a call over your life after you leave. God is making a declaration over him. And when God calls you a warrior, he doesn't check your resume. When God calls you a warrior, he doesn't listen to your lies. When God calls you, he does not match what you see in the mirror. No. He matches who he created you to be. Who is God declaring you to be today? How is what God is calling you not aligning with what you see when you look in the mirror? You're being prepared, family. Just hold on. Gideon didn't know that in his wine press he was being prepared, but he was being prepared. And as I close, I just want to bring to you some personal uh, examples of this idea of preparation, this sifting before the lifting. Because every experience today is actually preparation for something you'll need tomorrow. And you're like, no, that can't be because that car accident didn't help me do nothing but raise my insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Rico, I know you're lying because when I lost my job, that didn't do nothing to prepare me to pay my rent. I know. I understand this is why Paul calls it the foolishness of preaching. Because sometimes I'll be up here saying stuff that just, I don't know about all that. But hear me and stick with me through it because at the end of the day, every experience today prepares you for something tomorrow. So I'm going to tell you uh, a a little bit, a a series of four experiences in my life, and I'm going to move through them sequentially and quickly. I was seven years old. My parents were seeking a better education for me already at that age. I'm like, y'all better calm down. I don't even like school. As it is. But my mom and dad had actually just been introduced to the Adventist church. And so my mom learned that there was an Adventist school nearby. She went and visited it and she wanted to go, wanted me to go to that school. And I still remember the day she sat with the teachers. The teacher went through all the books and explained the curriculum and what was going to happen and how the school was going to function for me. And then they gave her the document that showed how much it would cost for me to go to this school. Adventist education ain't cheap. It ain't the most expensive, but it also ain't cheap. Uh, Principal Morgan's here. I'm going to keep looking this way. I'm gonna, how you doing, man? Love you, pal. Love you, buddy. But at the end of the day, there was a cost associated with the education that my mom and dad felt God was calling me to that did not match what was in their pocket. My mom sat down with the teacher and said, we can't pay that. But let me tell you what happened. I went to that school the next day. And I don't know all the details, but I do remember is that Sunday, standing next to my dad in the hallway of the school, my dad was showing me how to mop the floors of the school. 
because the school offered my parents, said, hey, we'll work something out here. So my dad would actually mow the lawn, do all the yard work. My dad's a landscaper by trade. Uh, and then my mother would clean the school. It's just a one hallway school room and it had eight rooms, one, two, three, four, small school. There were 30 kids in the school. I'm talking Michigan, guys. We ain't got the beautiful stuff out there. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's a smaller place there. But what I remember is standing with my dad, looking at the mop bucket. I'm seven. Looking at the mop bucket and learning how to put the mop bucket in the mop, lift it up, let the water fall, put it in the ringer, twist it. I should have had a mop bucket here. Twist it, press it, so you get rid of the water and you lift it up. Then I remember learning how to pick, he said, pick it up and slap it. So I would pick it up and I would slap it. And it's one hallway, right? So I would pick it up and slap it and I remember feeling like I'm painting. See my movement? You guys know this is natural to me. See how I'm doing this? Look at this is my, this, I got it. Y'all don't know Pastor Rico can mop a clean floor. Y'all don't know about Pastor Rico. So I remember doing that. And every time I see a mop bucket to this day, I'm reminded. I'm reminded of the way God showed my parents. How God showed me even when I was seven. Even in our place of not having enough, that he's more than enough. I remember what that mop bucket represents to me. Now fast forward 12 years, I'm 19. I've been out of high school for a year. I'm tired of waiting tables. I was good at it. Don't ask me to cook though, because I will mess your food up, but I will bring it to you very well. However, I was tired of waiting tables. And I remember praying, God, oh, let me just do anything to get out of the service industry, any amount of experience I can get anywhere. And this is when I had the opportunity come where I could go and actually work at General Motors. In Michigan, that's a big deal. So I'm like, oh, I get to work at GM? I actually had the opportunity to work as a contractor for a facilities maintenance company that was contracting um, with Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler right during the recession in 2008, 2007, 2009. So I remember showing up to my first day of work, excited for this opportunity, and what did they put in my hand? A mop. So wait a minute, that was a transitional supervisor was what I had applied for. No, but they gave me that familiar yellow bucket with water in it. Because I began as a janitor before I could be a transitional supervisor. So what did I do? I took that mop and that bucket, I twisted it, picked it up, slapped it. Here I am, doing what I know how to do. Because I had been prepared when I was seven for such a time as this. I was in my wine press, I was feeling some type of way about the fact that I had to be a janitor before I could actually be a transitional supervisor, but no, I'm mopping. In my wine press, whining and depressed, I'm mopping. Fast forward another six years, I'm at the building of Westminster Good Samaritan Church. And I was called, Westminster Good Samaritan Church, by the way, is Relove. It's our former name. We used to have a building in Westminster. I showed up in that place in 2012, 2011. And my situation was that I was so hungry at that time in my life for what God was calling me to next that I told God, I'll do anything, whatever you want. I, I can't get into the story now, and I will one day, but the pastor at the time was like, Rico, come on, come on to the pastoral staff. We have a stipend for this much. 
I, was, I said, I want to quit my job. I was managing restaurants. I said, I want to quit my job. I want to give my whole life to ministry. I was searching for purpose. I was searching. I was hungry for meaning. And he said, come on. Now, the, do, the, the donation that was going to fund that stipend fell through. So he no longer could give me that donation after I had already quit my job. I was one car payment away from repossession with my Nissan Pathfinder. Some of y'all remember I used to park that Nissan Pathfinder. Some of y'all from the old church remember I used to park that in the kitchen. I mean like in the back so nobody could see it because it was a tow truck company across the street. A tow truck, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. They're gonna come take my car. So I, had, I used to hide it every single night because I decided to quit my job to give my life to ministry because God was calling me to a place that I didn't see the details for, right? The janitor quits at the time. So guess what the pastor put in my hand? The mop with the mop bucket. I wet it, lifted it, slapped it, painted. Before I ever preached a sermon in this church, I scrubbed the toilet. Before I ever had my hand in a microphone, I mopped the floor. God was sifting me before he was lifting me. I got one more for you, then I'm done. 2018, I left this church and moved to Michigan so I could go to the seminary. While I was there, I needed some form of income. My wrist hurt because I was cutting hair too much. I was like, ah, I, I can't, can't, can't keep hanging with the barbers like the barbers, man. I need, I need a, a different job. And I remember at the same time, I was also looking for a church because, y'all, I miss you guys. I was missing you guys. In my first six months in, 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 in seminary, I was depressed. I didn't have my real family for the first time in seven years. I was looking for a place to belong. I ended up walking into a church one day, and I remember, I was like, oh, I like the vibe here. I like this. After potluck, there were crumbs down on the ground, and I remember people were, were mopping. I was like, ooh, someone spilled some juice. Never been to this church. So I'm looking for a janitor closet, and I was like, let me mop this up. There's some juice that was spilled. I come back out, I got the bleach, I got the right concentration in the mop, the liquid, and I'm mopping. This is my first day at this church, but I just saw that there was a need, there was some juice on the floor. I mopped, I look up and the pastor is recording me with his phone. And he's like, I have never seen nobody mop during potluck. And he made this big deal out of it. And then, the, then I look around and there's people watching me like, who is this guy that we've never seen before? Brand new to the church, where did he find a mop, first of all? Second of all, what is he doing mopping the floor? We've never, we've never seen nothing like this. Because I returned to my place of sifting once again. That was on Sabbath. The next day on Sunday, I'm doing homework. I get a phone call from the lead pastor. He says, hey, are you looking for a job? Because I need to hire a pastor. And that's how I made money through my time in seminary. Family, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, it's the wine press that will sift you. It is your mop that will sift you. It is what you experience that you regret that will sift you. And before the lifting must come the sifting. So the question is not, will God take you out of your wine press? The question is, how long will you refuse to come out of it? Listen for the word in the wind and expect the sifting before the lifting. Heavenly Father, God, as you've laid this word on our heart, Father, it both challenges us, but it gives us hope. So, Father, I pray that you take the words spoken from my mouth, guide them into the place of the heart that are dormant in the lives of those that are under the sound of my voice, Father, and I pray that you make mountains move in their sight this, 
week. But at minimum, God, my prayer is that you allow them to recognize the purpose of the wine press in their life today, that you are preparing them for the purpose of their future tomorrow. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.